Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Glad to see you. Looks like you're glad to be here. We are in week two of our current teaching series called Fear. So it's like, what are you afraid of? Last week, we were tossing out some of these phobias, right? We, we talked about if you're afraid of heights, it's aquaphobia. You know, if you're afraid of crowds, it's agoraphobia. Do you know that? If you're a Yankee fan who's afraid of the Red Sox winning the World Series, you're me. And you suffer from foot and mouth phobia, right? Okay. <laughs> so what are you afraid of, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we're all afraid of something, right? I mean, we are. There's no such thing as being fearless throughout our lives. And, and we're okay somewhat talking about, as we said, these kind of external phobias and fears, you know? Sometimes we can even laugh at, ah, oh, yeah, I'm afraid of getting on a plane. I'm afraid of the water and elevators and spiders, whatever. But yet, those phobias are not what we are most afraid of. It's not really where our biggest fears lies or within these phobias. There are a whole set of fears out there, well, in here, that affect us significantly, how we live our lives. Uh, you know, there are these emotional fears, and for many of us, we don't realize that they're in us, they're on us. They really uh, play a significant uh, role in how we live out our life. Now, today we're going to talk about the fear of failure. It's a huge one, especially in our culture. It's, it limits our relationships, certainly the health of our relationships. It can cause us to make all kinds of poor decisions. It can hinder us from getting and making decisions that need to be made. So in this country, in America, failure is like considered to be the unpardonable sin. No one likes to be thought of as a failure. I mean, I connect with people all the time, day in, day out. And there are many times where they might be living out their life and doing things. I'm like, it's not how I would do it. They're like, hey, I'm good with it, right? But I've never met anybody who said, I'm good with being a failure. And I want to be known as a failure. Hey, and yet the reality is, to one extent or another, we're all failures, right? We all have failed at something at one time or another, right? Now, often when we approach this subject of failure, we talk about, you know, it's so we're kind of more like one side of the coin is talking about fear, failure, the other side is talking about progress, accomplishments. And, and we say things like getting out of your comfort zone, you know, accomplishing your dreams. We, we hear sayings like, you know, failure is often the first step towards success. Makes sense. Failure is not an option, it's a necessity. Craig Rochelle, Life Church. I, I do, I agree with that. It speaks to that when you stop failing, it means you've stopped taking risks, which means you've stopped growing, and you're only complacent and stagnant for a while, and then you're going to slowly begin to go backwards in all of life. So all that's true, it's good stuff. Though somehow, a lot of these great quotes, accurate quotes, songs, books, literature, movies, so much out there, seminars, conferences on, you know, moving us forward towards our dreams and, and overcoming our failures, it only seems to move a very small amount of us or, or the population. And, and your thought is like, what is that? I wonder if it's because it's all future-oriented. And it speaks to our, few, our you know, overcoming failure in, in view of the future. My thought is that not many of us are transformed often by that approach to the subject. I didn't say we're not motivated. 
Oh, we're motivated. You see, motivation, mo- to be motivated, or motivation will move you, but inspiration will change you, right? Will transform you. And I don't think we're inspired for the most part by that. And I think that one of the reasons, I'm not saying we shouldn't be inspired. I'm saying we're not. And I wonder if one of the reasons is that we're being held down, we're being held back by a very overwhelming fear of failure that isn't as much as looking at the future as it's remembering our past and our past failures. And that's what's dogging us, what's holding us back, what's holding us down, is we've internalized these past failures. They become a part of the fabric of our emotions and how we see things and how we react to what's going on, how we see opportunities, even how we see our future. I mean, so if we have a fear of something, failure in particular, a fear of failing is something is going to be sort of a displeasure, an uneasiness about approaching that. That's just all of life, right? I mean, I've noticed recently, and you know, as you get older, you tend to change and, and, and the way you think, see, feel than you were younger. And I've noticed recently, I've taken on a fear of toilet bowls. I have a fear, you know, really. Well, I mean, I equate it to fear. I, I just have a displeasure when I come upon a toilet bowl, when I see a toilet bowl. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking different things. That's not what it is. Whatever it is, it's not what it is. <laughs> you see, when we were renovating the building, uh, there came a point to the latter part of the project when the time came for the handicapped bathroom. Uh, well, there's a few of them, but one of them, the time came for a toilet bowl to be installed. And the plumber asked me, well, would you like me to pick up a toilet bowl for my account? I said, no, no, I'm, I have to go to Home Depot. I'll, I'll take care of it. You know, save a few bucks. It all adds up. So I went to Home Depot. These things are heavy, by the way. And I, you know, got the, you know, the toilet bowl, put it in the trunk, you know, checked out, or, you know, drove from the... Home Depot to here, came, came up the stairs, went into the, the bathroom, dropped it, the plumber came over. He said, it's not going to work. I said, why not? He said, well, it's not a handicapped toilet. So all right. Picked it up, put it in the trunk, drove back to Home Depot, out of the, across the parking lot, to the returns, back to the show, got a handicapped toilet, came back, trunk, back here, up the stairs, into the handicapped bathroom, put it down. Plumber came over. said, it's not going to work. I said, why is it going to work? He said, well, it's, not, it's elongated. It's not shaped right for the, for the handicapped person, for the code. And I'm thinking, so there's a lot of things you can get away with in Massachusetts, but not the shape of a toilet bowl, right? <laughs> okay. Picked it up in the box, in the trunk, back to Home Depot, returns, back, got a toilet bowl, picked it up. These things are heavy. Did I say they're heavy? Put it back into the trunk, came up the stairs, into the bathroom, put it down, plumber came over. He said, that ain't going to work either. I said, why is it going to work? He said, because the lever, the flusher is on the wrong side. It's a handicapped toilet. You can't have the lever on the side of the wall. It's got to be on the other side. Well, I'm going to stop there. I made two more trips before I solved this toilet boat thing. All right? So I have this uneasiness, this apprehension, this fear of toilet boats. I don't, I don't even like to look at toilet boats. I don't want to see it, right? <laughs> Fortunately, I have two teenage sons, so I can blame the mishap of that on them, not me, right? Okay, so look, I say that lightly, laughingly, just to kind of now bring in something serious. But listen, when it comes to life, some of us are haunted by our failures. I mean, literally, like they're on us. And, and, and we can be apprehensive to things, and we can sense displeasure when we're coming up on opportunities, on good things, on wonderful things that God has placed in our lives and in relationships, and we're seeing them from this past failure place, Right? 
Meaning, and, and we have this running thing in our head, I failed, I failed, I failed. We don't say it out loud, but inside of ourselves, we are reminding ourselves, I failed, I failed. And we carry that weight on us. And it's how we really do internally see ourselves. And then God comes along, right there, in the middle of our insecurities, of our shame and our failures, and he invites us. God, literally this morning, he invites you to stop believing in your failure and to stop believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the all-powerful, all-loving Jesus Christ and his power over failure and over sin. God is inviting us this morning to be recipients of his magnificent grace. And we can have hope in that. I mean, life-changing, inspirational hope. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the early church, meaning the, the, a church that at the very beginning of the early church in Rome. We know it is the book of Romans. And there's a, he, he's writing to a group of people where a heap of troubles, trouble and problems have been cast upon them since they've decided to be followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, they're being ostracized, criticized, persecuted, even unto death. Now, Paul talks about, he kind of alludes to and talks about failure in Romans chapter 5 through 8. He talks about a lot of stuff, some rich, deep stuff, but he, he kind of hits on failure, especially in chapter 8. And what Paul does here in chapter 8 going into the verses 20s and 30s, he says this. I'm going to summarize it. Paul says, after he, after, what he does is after telling us that God is working for our good, after telling us that God has a great purpose in our lives and that God has chosen us, after telling us that God knew us before we were born, that God is calling us to himself, that God makes us, me and you, right before him, meaning that he justifies us, makes us right before all of creation. And when all is said and done, God will glorify himself through us by bringing us to eternity to live forever with our Heavenly Father. So in light of all that, Paul says in Romans 8, 30, chapter 8, verse 31, he says, what then? Meaning, in, in, in light of everything I just told you, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. You speak that into your failure. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, who can be against me? Paul is saying, no matter what you've gone through, going through suffering as a result of past failures, if you're in the middle of a failure, do not fear failure. God is for you. Now, when it comes to this, I mean, these are bold, magnificent statements. And we begin to take on this sense of being inspired. And, and we do, we, we affirm that. But do we believe it? Do we believe that God is for us? Especially when it comes to our failures, when we come face to face with that failure. Will I be accepted? I should not have done that. I should have done this. I've made my bed, now I need to lie in it. That's why I don't make my bed, by the way. 
I've disobeyed God. It was my fault. We replay these failures over and over in our head. And in that, what happens is we have this underlying way of thinking being, how could God be for this? How could God be for me? I mean, we want to believe it, but we got this cloud. We, it, our, our mind, our heart is tainted with this thought of all they did, and I failed. And look how Paul responds in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He says, He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him Jesus up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, Jesus, who he gave, graciously give us all things? That's, right? that's, that's the word of God. God. What Paul is saying is God did the unthinkable, the unbelievable. Paul says right here, God says, I am for you. Right here, God is saying, God is demonstrating, I am for you. I will do something you can't imagine. Something is unthinkable. I'm giving you my son to die for your mistakes, to die for your failures, to die for your sin, to make you whole and new. So you could be right with me, your father, your creator, and that you could have the greatest gift of all, and that is eternal life. So God says that he is for you because his word says so. So in the 1970s, 1980s, there's a man who lived in New York City. His name was Eugene Lang, and he was described by others in his time as a self-made multimillionaire. And in June of 1981, uh, Mr. Lang, Eugene, is invited to deliver the commencement address at the PS 121 elementary school, right? It's the same elementary school that he graduated from over 50 years earlier. Uh, now, where the school is, the school's located in Harlem. And Harlem was much different when Eugene grew up there than its present condition in, well, in its condition in 1981. It had turned now to a place that was very poor. The families were very poor, a lot of deprivation, a lot of difficulty. Matter of fact, Harlem had one of the, at the time of Eugene Lang's commencement address to those sixth grade students, Harlem had one of the highest dropout rates in the nation. So Eugene starts to speak. And, and the words that are coming out are similar to what you would normally hear in a graduation commencement speech, regardless of the age of the kids. And then something happened, Eugene says. He said, I looked out at the audience, almost entirely black and Hispanic students, he said, I intended to tell them and their families that I had attended PS 121 and that, you know, many years ago, and that I worked really hard. And, I made, and because of that, my hard work, I, I became very successful. And that if they worked hard, that one day they would be successful too. But Eugene said it dawned on him. He said it dawned on me that what I was telling them and what I was about to tell them was entirely irrelevant to their life. So I stopped and I began telling them that one of my most, mom, uh, most memorable moments in my life is when I heard Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, speak the I have a dream speech. And that, and, that how, and that how everyone should have a dream. He said, then I decided that I would give a scholarship to every student in that class 
every student who was enrolled in a four-year college, I would give them a scholarship and I would pay for their college. And I told them it right then and there, <laughs> you know? And, and there was silence in the room. And, and the people started to applause, and parents ran up and started hugging him that this man was going to, if their child, you know, would make it through high school and get to the point of being accepted into, any, into a college, he would give them a scholarship to that college. So Eugene says, I knew my words weren't enough, especially speaking to people who so many broken promises, so much fragmentation, that words weren't enough. Before he finished giving his speech, he right there committed that right now today, I'm earmarking $2,000 for every student in this room. And every year you stay in school till when you get to the end of high school, I would add another $2,000 to that to make sure that my promise is kept and that you will have the money to go to college. In the coming months, he adopted the class. He took them out to restaurants, out to like events. He, he counseled them. He got people to help them through crisis and, and work with the schools to help them in their life. The principal of the school told Eugene after the speech, he said, you know, that was a, really a generous uh, and a wonderful gesture to these kids, though don't expect more than one or two of them to wind up going to college. Wow. Well, of the original 61 kids, over 50%, over half of them wound up going on to be enrolled in college. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. And from that moment, Eugene Lang started the I Have a Dream Foundation, and over the coming years would send 16,000 inner city kids across our country to college, right? Yeah, good story. So why did I tell you that story? Because like Eugene, Lang, God doesn't say, I'm all for you, and it's just words. It's not just words. He showed us by the giving of his one and only son, that his one and only son died on the cross, was crucified for you. So it's not just words, but it's power. And we could talk for hours about the validity and, and truth of the cross and Jesus Christ dying on the cross, that it's truth and it's fact. And so it's not just words. So stop believing in your failure and start believing in Jesus and believe in his power over failures and mistakes and over sin. Believe in the grace that God has made available to you today. Know that grace. It's not what you've done or not done. It's not what you deserve. It's God's love for you poured out on you because you are the first fruits of all of his creation. He delights in you and he loves you. You see, we do, we, we, we want to believe, but we remain in this guilt and this shame because we might think it's just words. But today, no. Today we know it's not just words. It's the word. It's the word of God, and it resonates in us. It cuts through us. It pours into our, ha our heart, and it draws us closer to knowing and to loving God and to living apart from fear of failure. Look at Paul's words in verse 33. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one can condemn you. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also is interceding for us. As I speak to you, Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God, interceding for you, meaning praying to God for you, pleading on your behalf to God for you, in, in, in that you can't even articulate, you can't even form the words to say what you need to, and Jesus is speaking them for you to his heavenly Father, huh? 
That's what the scripture tells us. For you. And that's what you need to know. Not how you failed, but how you can succeed. Because Jesus, who died for you, was resurrected, is at the right hand of God, speaking on your behalf. That's a big deal, huh? It's nice to know somebody when you're in a big fight, right? Paul is saying, because of Jesus, you're not condemned. Your failures are not listed. Not because of you, but because of Jesus and what he's done for you. So do not fear. Failure does not have to be the final word for you. What Jesus did for you does, yes? When we start reliving our failures, our mind, in our mind, we, we, we persecute ourselves, we prostitute ourselves. And when you do that, remember, Jesus says, I died for that failure. I died for that mistake. I was crucified for that sin. Jesus says to ourselves, but I did that, and I didn't do this. And Jesus, I died for it. I was crucified for it. Let it go. Be free. Put the failure aside. Put the fear of failure aside. Your past failures are stoking and causing your present and future failures. You know, when I was 28 years old, my life was full of failures. That's all I was. I failed at everything. I had, I, I had no high school diploma. I didn't have a driver's license. I, I didn't have a social security number. I would just fill in the boxes. They're there, just add, put numbers in, whatever. I mean, I'm close, right? Good enough. True. I was 29 years old when I finally got a social security number. Christy convinced me it was necessary. And after I paid my $4,000 in fines and parking tickets, cut in half by a very nice judge, I got my license too. <laughs> I had never filed taxes before. I had never voted before. In every aspect, I didn't get along with my family. I was just failure after failure after failure. I was dogged by failure. But then I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, and, and I got, I'm like, wow, this is so true. And I, I can't go there because I preach for hours. I just knew, knowing what I knew of human beings, of people, of life, and I was immersed in all of it in New York City. I'm like, this is true. This is right. Push it all aside. This is true. This is right. And when I did embrace it, those failures really no longer really were me. What was me was Jesus. You know, I got Philippians 3.13, this one thing, I'm forgetting the past and I'm pressing on towards my future, right? Towards what God has called me to. I really got that. I would not be held down. I mean, now, now, after I came to Jesus, I started, I had a few other nice failures, you know. I started developing my own new list of failures. But really, none comparable to the, this deplorable stuff, right? And, and, and I wasn't alone. And so, uh, how, how does Dave... And I, and I said this, I want to say this um, in a humble way. How does, how does Dave get here, right? You know, poor education, complete failure in so many ways. How do I get here coming from all that? And it is because of my love of God and my trust in Jesus and, and, and believing in the word of God and believing of what he's done for me and having that hope. And because I have that hope, I really do think anything's possible to the extent that I will surrender myself and trust in God. It's like, I don't care. I'm doing, I'm doing this to the death. 
And that's why, and I say this humbly, I am here, and people who are more educated than me, more equipped than me, better uh, orators than I am, uh, I can go on and on and on, more qualified than I am, they might not come close to where I've come because they live in failure. And I refuse to live in it. I won't have no part of it. And what I'm telling you is the, the fear of failure and you living in past failures that's speaking into your head is holding you back and holding you down, and you are not living close to what you could be. Highly likely, many of you, you aren't even, you aren't even approaching what God has for you and what you could do and what you could be. Because I, I literally, I, I mean, I had a guy call me up one time and say, you know, I was really struggling with planning a church, but I realized, and a guy who really had come to know me really well over the years, since I became a Christian and went into ministry, he said, but then I realized, Dave, because I've been calling him and said, listen, you need to start a church. You can do this. He goes, and I just, he goes, I just couldn't get it. And then I realized, but you did it. I said, yeah, I did it. He goes, oh, then I can do it. <laughs> he goes, Dave, if you did it, I can do it. I said, I'm telling you, of course you could. Scotty, you just got to surrender, man. You just got to go. You got to trust God. Lay it all out, man. It's going to squeeze you. It's going to pull you down. It's going to break you. When it's all said and done, there'll be not much left of you, but plenty of God. And that's how you, and it's just the same applies to you, all of you. Step out, man. Dude, the way we set this up here for you to serve, it's so intentional. It is so intentional for you to jump into things like trunk or treat or in kids ministry. It is so nurtured to see you come to know God in a greater way, to see you interact with experiences in your life that will get you out of that I fail, I fail, I can't, I don't do this, I'm not comfortable with that. Come on. It's all coming from your past failures, from your, what you experience. You can do it. Many of what we see happen in people's lives are people who just say, okay, I'm just going to get involved. And then they hit a relationship. They connect with people and they wind up doing something that's meaningful, which is why we don't have a really you know, high turnover rate in our volunteers. People might move around, but the majority of people who volunteer stay volunteering. We love you, we care for you, but more than anything, we want you to get out of this thought of I can't, yet I can because of who God is in me. And this will move you away from this past failure thing and move you away from fear of failure and move you into a place of trust in God because you, by your involvement in these trunk or treats and kids' ministries and worship and first impression and, the, and all this, what it does is it puts you in the conduit of God's provisions and blessings and experience with God. And when you see God do something with what little you bring to the table, you're like, whoa, I can trust in this. Yeah, he just did this with me. I just experienced that. I was just praying about that. I can trust in this God. And when you trust in God, now you have this greater thanksgiving of him, and what comes back to you is peace and joy and a resolved faith, right? That you can take that faith and stick it in the face of your fear. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39 Paul now says something pretty encouraging. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution separate us from the love of Christ? Huh? Shall famine or nakedness or danger or sword separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. Lay it all out. Lay it on the line. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We belong to you. 
No, verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Wow. Paul talks about suffering, persecution. He says, you might, you will experience this. And then he says, nothing, nothing, say with me, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying in those tough times, do not doubt God. Do not go back and dwell in your failures and your lacks and your mistakes. Do not think I was bad and did bad so God will not be good to me. That's not grace. That's condemnation. And you are not condemned. You are free because Jesus rose from the grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he speaks freedom into your life. Paul goes on to say in chapter 8, verse 37, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God is giving you today a new identity. You are not to live in the identity of shame and regret, guilt or failure. Not today. Get it off of you today. Stop letting that be what motivates you, because it does. Be inspired by the Word of God. Be transformed by the Word of God. Be changed by God's Word, which says, I am for you. You can trust me. Lay it all out for me. You, God says, you are more than a conqueror. Now that word there, when Paul was writing that letter to the Christians there in Rome, he was writing in the Greek language. The word there that was translated into, into our language was accurately translated to conqueror. The word there in the Greek, what it means when it's used often was this, overcomer. Someone who overcomes difficulty, adversity, and who is victorious. Paul saying, God is saying, you will be victorious. You are an overcomer. You will overcome your guilt, your shame, your regrets. I've called you to be an overcomer. You are not a failure. You are an overcomer. And you have the victory because neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor the powers, nor the height, or the depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us, you, me, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why. So as we close, I want each one of us in front of me, those behind me, I want each one of us to say to ourselves, what are those things that I am fearful of? Yeah, yeah, just slow it down for a second. Just God Almighty, God Holy Spirit, give each and every one of us the courage right now. Have, bring clarity to our minds and we can say, this is what I am fearful of. This is what I failed. This is where I failed, and it is bringing a fear of failure into my life. I see it. It is not to be here with me. And right now, I, 
In Jesus' name, replace my fear with my faith in Jesus, with my trust in Jesus, with my confidence in Jesus. Right now, I will step away from this and step forward to what God is calling me to, for what God has taken a hold of me for. I will replace it with a faith, a faith meaning a belief and a trust in Jesus Christ. Who he is, he is God's one and only son. He is God himself and what he did, he gave his life on the cross. He died for my mistakes, my failures and my sins. I believe he was crucified for my failures and God demonstrated his love for me and that he was for me, that Jesus gave his life. Today, God says to you, don't be afraid, don't run, trust in me and begin a relationship with me, one where you are laying it out, trusting and surrendering. You are all in with me. Now this starts, if you came in here today, and this is just not where you were, <laughs> you know, whatever, you came in here, somebody invited you, you came in here because this one was hard, or you liked it, whatever, you, 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 I don't know, but you're here. And I do believe with all my heart that God ordained you to be here, that he decreed you to be here, that it is by a sovereign God's hand on your life that you are here. And it is God that is stirring you and awakening you to your need of him and your sense that he does truly love you. And that's how he made you. He made you to know that, to be sensitive to that. That's the gaping hole that exists in you. And right now he's pouring out his grace into that hole. He's drawing you closer to him right now because he loves you. And you want to turn to him and have this conversation with him and you, kind of like I did. Just God, man, just forgive me. Uh, just forgive me for living my life in a way that was apart from you and ignored you and, and was insensitive to you. And, and God, thank you for bringing clarity to me in this moment. And thank you for, for loving me and, and for just instilling in me that there was something more, the, the desire to search, to be more, to want more. Thank you, God, for doing that for me. I would have just buried it all one way or another, but, but you kept it alive in me. You, your spirit, my spirit is thriving right now. So God, I want you, I need you, I turn to you, and I believe in Jesus. And I thank him for the, his giving his life, and I today, right now, this moment, I want to surrender myself to Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus now and forevermore. I want to follow Jesus. And now sense the grace and the love of God being poured out over you again and again and again. And you are filled with hope. You have this unspeakable, unimaginable, amazing hope, which is so powerful, because nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Now, this is you who I'm speaking to. You have a connection card. It says you, why are you on one side, and my next step's on the other. And one of it says, I have decided to start a new relationship with Jesus. Wow. I've, I, meaning, this is my day. This is the time when I'm, I'm going to live this out. I'm going to take this step forward. You want to check that box off. I've, st I've decided to renew my relationship with Jesus. I mean, I get it. I, 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 it's like part Jesus, part regret, part shame, part living in failure, part me trying to move forward and, and avoid what I'm afraid of or not getting involved and not doing. And Jesus is there to comfort me and to help me. And, and God's forgiving me. And we just, we're trying to make the best I can of this mess, but not anymore. It's all Jesus. I'm not going to live in my failure and in my regret. I'll be accountable. I'll be responsible, but I'm not going to own it. When people say you got to own, you got to own your mistakes. That, that's just not good, man. That's debilitating. That's horrible. Let me tell you something. Plenty of people, too many people own their failures and their mistakes, and it's killing them. 
Be accountable, be responsible, but don't own it, man, okay? Give it to God, all right? Jesus died for it, let him take it, you don't own it. What you own is God's word, you hear me? Given to you, God's son dying for you that you could have eternal life, and that's what you want to trust and believe in. You want to take that card that you checked off, you want to bring it out to the guest services table, they're going to give you a, a package. It's got a Bible in it. It's got some other good information in it to give you traction and to keep you going. We thank God for what he's doing in your life. Today is your day. Chris, maybe we'll go out tonight. About, wow, it's about maybe last week. We're, today's the 14th, so it was just, just several days ago. 25, I think it was like October 9th, 25 years ago, I had this moment. The moment I'm inviting you to have. I had that moment, and it was phenomenal. It was just an outstanding moment. I'll tell you that after I had that conversation, I, I, I walked out of the room I was in. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. I took like 10, 15 steps. I, almost, I started almost to throw up. I became so nervous, so overwhelmed. Like, oh, no, did I, did I just say that? Did that just happen? Am I going to actually have to live out? Am I going to live out this way? Well, well, and the fear started rising up in me. Literally, it was making me dizzy. It was making me nauseous. Like, okay, how am, I, how am I going to do this? And what about this? And, and what about that? And, and all of a sudden, it had to be, the, it, it was the grace of God came on me and said, hey, you're doing it. You're doing it again. Is there a God or isn't there a God? I said, there's a God. Well, then trust him. I said, okay, let's do this now. And so I set out to radically change my life in the coming days and weeks and months. And here I am 25 years later. To God be the glory.